this is Rob Coburn, and we are excited that you're joining with us today. If you're a part of the Summit Dover family, whether in person or online, we'd love to connect with you via social media at the Summit Dover on all social media outlets and on our website, thesummitdover.com. We can get you plugged into our app or our YouTube channel, as well as giving options and opportunities to connect with the Summit Dover family all around the world. I hope this word today encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. Good morning. I'm so excited to be here and have this opportunity to share with you what the Lord is doing in me and through me and what he wants to do in this house. I don't know if any, you, most of you probably know, I have been doing an internship in Buffalo, New York for the past few weeks and the Lord did so many things, but there's one thing that he really shared with me that I was like, yes, that's what I'm gonna share. My dad asked me if I would bring a word and instantly I knew, I knew what it was supposed to be about. And the Lord was really teaching me throughout these three weeks how to say yes. Some people have the issue of never saying no and that's how they get overcommitted, but I had the issue of being scared to say yes. And so I was on my way to Buffalo three weeks ago and I was in the car and the Lord said, throughout these three weeks, I want you to say yes. And I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> I was kind of like contemplating like, okay, what does yes really mean? And so I was just talking to him about it and he said, you're gonna be put in situations that would make your flesh uncomfortable, but it's to grow you. I was like, okay, that makes a little more sense, but then it got scary. Because it's like, oh my word, what's gonna make me uncomfortable? I'm a pretty like spontaneous person. I can pretty much handle whatever the plans do, but I also like control. And so it's this moment of like, oh goodness, I'm like giving up all of my control. And then I went back to, but the Lord is faithful. He has me in his hand and he knows what he's doing. So he wouldn't have told me this if he you know, didn't have a plan. So how many of you know that America is stepping into the greatest awakening we've ever seen? I was thinking about that and I was just like, Lord, thank you for letting me be a part of a generation that gets to witness this. Because there were some moments where I was like looking back and I'm looking back at Amy Semple McPherson and Catherine Kuhlman and all of the big people in the movements throughout the years and I was like, I wish I was a part of that. And I just had this moment of being like, no. I'm so blessed to be in the movement that I'm in right now because this is going to be the greatest harvest that we have ever seen. And I was just really hit by that because God was like, don't say that you wish you were there. Be excited because I have a call on your life in this season, in this generation, that's specifically for you. So the Lord showed me a few things that are going to come out of this next awakening. And the first one is going to be an increase in expectation through worship. So there's something that the Lord is doing in worship in this next movement that is so important. We're not just up here singing songs for 45 minutes because we think that it's fun. Although it is very fun, don't get me wrong, Mickey and I party. <laughs> it's so awesome, but the Lord has given me a heart for worship and the idea that when we fix our eyes on Him, He has the ability to move. Because when I'm thinking about me and I'm thinking about how can I help reach this next generation for Jesus, he wants me to pause because he has a plan. And when we follow his plan, it's way better than whatever kind of plan we could create. But the Lord also showed me that we're coming into a time where being a lukewarm Christian isn't gonna cut it. We can't reach this next generation, we can't go where God's calling us to go 
by some days being a Christian and some days deciding that I wanna go sleep around and drink because it's fun. It doesn't work like that. So my point number one for today is God desires a resolved yes. To resolve is to decide firmly on a course of action. I, one of the interesting ways that I think the Lord was just like having some fun with me, because one of the ways I had to say yes was trying new food. Oh my goodness gracious, I did not realize how uncultured I am in food until I went to a big city and they've got every kind of food you could ever imagine. And they're like, do you like Greek food? Do you like Indian food? I'm like, I've never had any of that, but whatever. And so they would just hand me random things and make me eat it. The one thing I did not try was raw clams though. I drew a line. But, but anyways, um, and so that's just a cheesy thing, but it really was like, the Lord was like, well, are you gonna say yes to me? And it was this cheesy little, like, I don't even remember what I was eating whenever he really hit me with it, but he desired me to say yes in that so that whenever he asked me to give someone a word the next day, I knew I could trust him because he had my heart. I've been really hit by the idea that sometimes we get so focused on God sending a revival that we forget that we're a living, walking, breathing revival on the earth today. We spend so much time like, God, come, show up, show up to the 10 in September, show up to this conference that we're having, show up when Pastor Reed comes because he's a legend. And I love that because he absolutely does and he wants to encounter us in those moments, but he also wants to encounter us when we're on our knees alone in our bedroom, crying out because we feel like we have nothing left to give. He wants us in that moment. He wants us in the moment whenever we're completely on fire, but he wants us to say yes whenever we're in the grocery store and he says, go pray for that person at the register. I've been taken back to the Great Commission many times throughout the past few weeks and just reading that and trying to process like there's a call on my life besides my personal call. There's a call for the entire church that Jesus gave in Matthew 28 and it says, then Jesus came close to them and said, all authority of the universe has been given to me. Now wherever you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to faithfully follow all that I have commanded you, and never forget that I'm with you every day, even to the end of the age. It's interesting that in verse 18 he says, all authority of the universe has been given to me. I think sometimes we can put limits on what Jesus can handle. Like, he can handle me whenever I accidentally had an attitude with someone, but he can't handle me whenever I went and got drunk the other day. Like, we draw lines on the grace of Jesus, and we think that he's only here in certain situations, and he's not here in other situations, and his grace only covers certain things. But he says, I have all authority over the universe. That means that we have all authority in the universe because we were created in his image, and all of the power that exists there, we have access to. No matter the season or position of this country, our call to share the gospel and change the world never changes. Never. Whether we have hundreds of years left or if the end of the earth is next week, we have the same call and the same tools that they had back on Pentecost in Acts. This message is for every single person because he's calling you to say yes to something new. 
We're walking into a season where the old things, the way we used to hear the Lord, is great, and he wants you to cherish those things, but he's moving us into a new season of what does that look like? He's taking the, the um, encounters that we had personally, and he's moving that into, okay, how can you live that out? And that's so important that it goes from being just a knowledge thing to a practical thing. Wisdom is when you take knowledge and apply it to your life. I can know a lot, I can tell you a lot about a lot of Bible stories, but unless I'm doing what God has called me to do and saying yes to what he's calling me to say yes to, I'm not walking in the fullness of everything that he has for me. A living sacrifice always has the ability to get up and walk off of the altar. God desires a sacrifice, and because he gave us the choice to choose, we can choose to say no. And he's not going to shame you for that. But I wanna start in Genesis 3, verses one through seven, and go back to the beginning, where he gave us a choice. Verse one, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? He tries to change what you think you heard to make it sound more appetizing, just for the record. Of course we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. She stood on a word. She knew what God had said. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. Verse five, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were open and suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. I believe that the grace and mercy of God is the fact that he gave us a choice. He gave us a choice to follow him in the beginning. He didn't force that. God could have just not had that other tree there and just said, you're going to follow me and you're gonna worship me no matter what. I don't feel like that's the heart of him at all. He said, I'm for you and I'm gonna let you pick. One random thing that we did in Buffalo that I had a really cool encounter with the Lord was, we went kayaking and we knew it was supposed to rain. I'm not a rain person. I cannot stand being soaking wet outside. Especially when it was already uncomfortable, I was like, no, I'm not going, I'm not going kayaking in the rain. And they were like, come on, please, it's gonna be so fun. And we ended up getting out there and I got soaked. Originally, I was like, are you serious? We've been out here for 20 minutes and I'm already soaking wet and you wanna be out here for another two hours. You're nuts. And the Lord just began to work on my heart and he was like, learn to enjoy it. And I ended up having fun and we played games in the kayaks and it ended up being really good. But initially I was so frustrated because I didn't want to be here in the first place and I knew I had to go because he told me to say yes. And then I got there and it was uncomfortable. I was like, God, you told me to say yes and that it would end in something good. And now it's ending in something that's making me uncomfortable. That brings me to point number two. God desires an uncomfortable yes. There's gonna be times in your life where God says to do something and it doesn't take a lot of faith. Where he says, you know, go to your room and pray. That, that doesn't take a lot of work, it's awesome and it's a cool encounter with him. But then there's gonna be other things where he says hop on a plane and go to Africa 
because that's what I've called you to do and I'll provide the money. That takes a lot of faith because he's gotta work out the fact that you need to get off work, he has to work out the money, he has to figure out if there's even plane tickets like existing. And that requires a lot of faith. But even in the things that are comfortable or uncomfortable, he wants a yes. He wants you to resolve in your heart that no matter what it looks like, even if it makes me uncomfortable, he wants me to say yes. In Acts 16, we're gonna jump in at verse six. It says, next Paul and Silas, oh, by the way, I picked a scripture and then I realized there's a lot of words I genuinely do not know how to say. So we're just gonna like roll through this. <laughs> next Paul and Silas traveled through the area of something and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. Then coming to the borders of Mysia, they headed north for the province province of Bithynia, but again, the spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead, they went on through Mysia to the seaport of Troas. I don't know. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. This really hit me because that had to be uncomfortable. When you have a plan and you're on vacation, and you're like, oh, we're gonna go see this, and we're gonna do that, and then like, it rains when you're supposed to be outside at a park. You know how frustrating that is? I'm sure you've all experienced it. It's so annoying, because I had a plan. And then something changes, and you suddenly can't do what you had planned to do. And I know people like me, and I know my mom and I are the same way in this, we hate when plans change. It's so hard, because it's like, we have a plan, and I'm getting all excited, and then it's like, uh-oh. <laughs> Now I have no control over anything. What does this even mean? <laughs> yeah, vacations are always an adventure. But, <laughs> but it's fine, it's fine. And the interesting thing is the Lord loves that. He said, I'm gonna make you uncomfortable. I'm gonna put you in a position where you're now completely out of control. Let me tell you, I was in Buffalo for three weeks. I didn't plan a minute of my time. That was terrifying because I love these people and I trusted them, but there is something about not knowing where you're going next. Like we talk at the beginning of the week and they're like, well, we'll have some meetings, we'll do this and we'll do that. But then you actually get there that day and you've got like 17 things to do and you don't know what any of them are, you just know you're busy. That was really hard for me because it made me so uncomfortable because I love to know what I'm doing. Even though I'm spontaneous, I still like to have this like, okay, so I know I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do that and it's gonna be so fun. And one of the days I didn't know what I was doing and it ended up being the best day that I was there. I bought a new pair of shoes, which automatically, I mean, made it better. You know, it's fine. And then we went and got our nails done and we went to this amazing restaurant and I didn't know what was coming next. But it was so fun because I said yes at the beginning of the day. I said, okay, I'm spending time with you so we're gonna do whatever you have to say. Verse 10, all of this is after Acts 2. So in this, whenever it said that the Lord told them where they should go and where they shouldn't go, this was after they had experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2. So they had this really real picture of who the Lord was. Because in, in the beginning of Acts, it talks about go to the upper room and wait. That's what Jesus said. So go wait until it comes. That would be really hard. 
as I think about it. Because you don't know what you're waiting for. But if Jesus tells you to wait, you're probably gonna wait. And now, after they've experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they hear him talking like that all the time. Which I think is amazing because we have access to that too. I'm going to kids camp next week and one of our main focuses is the Lord's Prayer. And they were like, memorize it. I was like, I haven't memorized, but the Lord told me to go back and read it again and just kind of soak in that. And the line that sticks out to me is, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you think about it, how hard is it for the will of God to take place in heaven? Not hard, it just happens because everyone is there for him. Like that is why we're here. We're here because he's God, right? That is how he expects it to be on the earth. But that doesn't happen with people who are not willing to do what he says to do. So we're gonna go to point number three and that's God desires an expectant yes. Dad always says that expectation is the breeding ground for miracles. That if I'm expecting healing, I'm gonna get healed. Because when you expect something, your faith level is raised. But the interesting thing about faith is that your faith can't do squat. It's his faith inside of you. I can't even receive salvation on my own faith. I wasn't created to. But his faith dwelling inside of me gives me the faith to do what he's called me to do. So we're gonna go to Daniel, we're gonna go to chapter three, and it's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I'm sure some of you have heard this, but I really wanna read it and put it in perspective of the idea of giving a yes, believing that he's gonna show up. I was contemplating so many things, and I've already shared some of them, but one of the things about the church that I was at is that they don't pray, come on, Lord, come show up, come do this. They have the attitude that he's already here, why wouldn't he do that? And that hit me differently because I didn't, I didn't know where to even start with that because I've done that before, but it's not the way that I every day walk in my life. And so you'd walk into a room and they have this attitude that, well, he's here and he's moving, why wouldn't he be here? And so I began to do that in my, in my daily devotions and in that time I was just like, well, you're here. Just open my eyes to see what you're doing right now. And that's what they did in Daniel 3. They said, my God better be real because I'm getting thrown into a fire. <laughs> Let me tell you, you have to know that you know that you know that you serve a real God. Because they could have easily bowed down and worshiped. Easily. These three men had been put in a leadership position in the kingdom at the end of chapter two. So coming into chapter three, they're in this leadership position. Verse one, King Nebuchadnezzar had made a gold statue 90 feet tall and nine feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all of the provincial, I don't know, officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all of these officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Verse four, then a herald shouted out, People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. 
So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshiped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of all these instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue that you have set up. In order to achieve your destiny, opposition is inevitable. You're never going to reach where you're called to go if there's not opposition or something to fight because that's just how the world works. For every kingdom of light, there's a kingdom of darkness. For every good thing, there's a bad thing. I think sometimes we get so shocked at opposition that we forget that we have all the power to win every battle. Verse 13, then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I've set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue that I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Getting sassy with them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with them that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king, in his anger, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. He will always be recognizable in situations, even to outsiders. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. Even the people that attacked you will turn around to Jesus when they have an encounter. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make this decree. 
If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb, their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. We're coming into a season where it's gonna be hard. It's not gonna be easy. There's already places in the world where being a Christian is not an easy task. And they have to be committed. Up until this point, we have been blessed with the ability to freely worship. And it's amazing. But they were in a position where the God of their life had to be so real, no one could convince them differently. And that came out of an encounter They knew who he was, they knew his nature. And that's what led them into being able to stand in the midst of a fire. A fire that killed everyone else around them. I was just completely touched by that. Like, do I have an expectation that when I say yes, even in these situations, that if I get thrown into a fire, I'm on my deathbed, someone's trying to kill me, do I believe that God's gonna show up and walk around there with me? I'd like to say I do, but I've never been in that situation, so I just keep saying, Lord, help me recognize how genuinely powerful you are. God honors an expectant yes. He honors when you say yes, even when you're kind of confused on what's happening, you're like, I think this is God. He honors that because you're being obedient to what you feel is right. Point number four, God desires a celebratory yes. I couldn't come up with a word to put here. I went through a lot of different ones trying to decide. But the interesting thing about this and what this means to me is sometimes you have to celebrate with other people when they're receiving the breakthrough you've been asking for. Sometimes you're gonna have your back that's in pain and God says go pray for that person and their back gets healed instantly. Are you willing to say yes when you're watching other people receive what you've been asking for? Are you, are you selfish that you would say I'm not gonna pray for their healing because I'm hurting? But that's a real mindset that we have. I've, I've been in positions where I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, that's not fair. I've been asking for that. I've been asking for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and now I gotta pray for someone else? What's happening? And I've had moments where I was frustrated with that. But there's something that shifts in the kingdom when you rejoice with other people. When you say, I'm waiting, but I care so much about the God in you and I care so much about who you are and what he believes about you, that I'm rejoicing with you. I'm standing with you for your healing. I'm standing with you for your deliverance. You were created with a core desire to be loved and cared for. That's how you were created. God created babies to need someone to take care of them. You can't just pop a baby out and like leave it there and expect it to be fine. He created that kid to need food and to need love and to need protection. That's how it works. And we are so happy to do that. You know, if there was a baby, like if Caitlin had her baby right now, we would just be like, oh my gosh, this is the greatest thing ever. And everyone would do anything that was needed for that kid. 
even if you don't know her, because, I mean, it's going to be adorable, but that's besides the point. It's a baby, so you're willing to do whatever they need because they have no one else to do it for them. They're not self-sufficient. But what the Lord was showing me is that those needs don't go away as you get older. You just try to fill them with other things. I still need as much love and protection as I needed the day that I was born. I was created for that. I was created to need to be loved. And that's where a lot of things come in of abuse and all those situations where people aren't loved the way they were created to be loved. And it leads to so many issues, but there's something about saying yes to the love of God that fills every part of you that was created to need that. There's parts of you that can't be fulfilled by the love of another person even if you're married. There's parts of you that need to be protected even when your spouse isn't with you, even when your family's not with you. Because there's gonna be times when you're alone and that person's not there to protect you. And that is something that only God can provide for you. But you have to surrender to say, I recognize that I have needs. Because sometimes we walk through life saying, I can do this all by myself, I can handle it. You know, I can get up here and I can do this and I can do that and I can spread the gospel and you just do it all yourself in the might that you think that you have. But there's still something missing and you won't experience the fullness of who God created you to be until he's the one filling that gap. You can fill it with so many things. You can fill it with pride. You can fill it with fear. You can fill it with substances. It doesn't matter. The hole's never leaving unless it's fulfilled by God. It's the only possible way that you can walk in who you were created to be because he created you with that need. I know whenever I was a kid, and normally grandma did pretty good at this, but if Jordan got something that I wanted, I was not very happy. <laughs> she got an iPod first, let me tell you. That was a rough day. It's like, what is happening? This is not fair. So then, you know, grandma started getting us the same thing every year. So then at least it was like, okay, we can play with it together, it's fine. <laughs> and sometimes we're like that in the kingdom. So I just keep coming back to he wants a celebratory yes. He wants you to rejoice with other people. He wants you to rejoice over people. I think we have a significant role in the kingdom as believers, which, I mean, we are the role. I don't know, who am I kidding? But we have the role of believing for other people. There is something so significant in intercession whenever I recognize that someone is hurting and they don't know how to reach out to the Lord for themselves, I have the ability to do that too. And interceding and praying. And that's so significant. Like, I was talking to Mike yesterday and he was talking about how when you pray, your prayers never disappear. You may forget them, but God never does. So those times that you prayed and you were like, on your face and you forgot that it happened. Have you ever had that moment where you prayed for something and then you like totally forgot about it and then it happened and you were like, wait, I prayed for that. I've had multiple of those moments. I was like, wait, no, I did ask the Lord for that and he brought it back to my mind whenever I prayed for it. He said, you forgot about it, but I didn't. He's always working. In every situation and every moment, he never stops working. 
when you became a Christian, you said yes to following Jesus with everything that you are. You received his grace. You said, I want to chase after you. But there's more. There's more that he has for you every single day. There's more that he wants to do in you. There's more that he wants to do through you. And one significant step in that is being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Which is a different experience than being baptized in water. Unless you're Jesus, then it happens at the same time, which is pretty cool. But, you know, we can have that too. Being baptized in water is a public declaration and a heart decision to say, God, I'm going to follow you. And I'm dedicating myself to you. But baptism in the Holy Spirit is what happened in Acts when they were in the upper room and Jesus said, go wait. God ever told you to wait? Sorry, we're just going to go on this for a second. Has he ever told you to wait? And you should like look at him and you're just like, really? Wait? I've been praying for this forever. And then he gives you a word and he's like, but not yet. <laughs> oh, are you teasing me? You know that like commercial where they've got like the, the fishing pole and he's like, oh, you almost got it. <laughs> I'm like, really, God, you showed it to me, so I know it's there, but you told me to wait. You can go when he says to wait, but it's not going to be his best for you. His best for you is in perfect timing, and sometimes that doesn't look like your timing, because I've had things where I was like, God, please now? That's great. Sounds great. Let's do it right now. I get a word, and I'm like, yes, let's do it right now. Let's go fight. I'm going to fight for you, you know? And he's like, before that, I want you to get on your knees. And I'm going to give you the tools that you need to fight the battle that I've called you to fight. Sometimes we know what battle we're called to fight, and we forget to go get equipped by him. Can you put the definition of resolve back up on the screen, please? To decide firmly on a course of action. Although this is a decision we can make in a moment, it's a decision we have to make every single day. Every time we get up in the morning and we check our phone, God says, pause. Say yes to me. I believe there's something he wants to do in this room this morning with hearts that have never known how to say yes. We know it's what we should do. I know that I need to follow God. I know that I need to share the gospel. I know that I need to talk about him and live my life like him, but... He cares about every moment and you can recognize that when you say yes. One of the most significant times for me was saying yes whenever we had an altar call at the ramp a few months ago and they said, are you willing to give whatever it takes and to say yes in every situation to what the Lord has for you? And I feel like I'd said that before but there was something significant about getting out of my seat and saying yes. Whatever it takes, with every beat of my heart, 
is a yes to you. So I want to open the altar this morning up here and if you have something inside of you that says, I've never given him my full-fledged yes, or even if you have and you feel like you need to recommit that to him, Robbie's going to play and I want you to come forward because I believe that this is a word for right now. And as you step out of the comfortable place of your seat, he's going to put something on your heart. Thank you, Lord. So if everybody would stand up with me, please. We're just going to worship, but if you feel like that's you, I want you to come forward and I want to lay hands on you because I want it. I want this to be a commissioning moment. I'm willing to say yes, no matter what it looks like. I want to go into the fire and come out not touched and not smelling like smoke because that's the God that I serve. So whether you've given him your yes or you just say, I want more, I want fun experiences where you tell me to do something and I get to go do it. here. He's moving in hearts all over the room.
in this place, for moving on hearts with a new desire to say yes to everything that you have for them. That as people go throughout their week and beyond, Father God, that you would ignite something so deep that can only be satisfied by saying yes to you, Lord. So I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for being here and for moving in us and teaching us how to follow you. There's always more to learn. So I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you enjoyed today's message, I would like to encourage you to like it and share it on all social media platforms or jump on the website, thesummitdover.com or the app and click the giving link and help us continue to share the message of the kingdom across the world. God bless you and have an awesome week.